good morning. Good morning. He is risen. And your response, as they said the old church used to do, he is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. Excited to be with you on this Resurrection Sunday. Very excited. Uh, it's always a great, great day to, to just come together and, and share the word of God, worship him. He is the Lord of Lord and King of Kings. And today's message I entitled Only Jesus, because only Jesus is why we are here. And there are a number of points that I want to share just as reminders. If you're Christians, you know everything that I'm going to teach you today. There is not one new thing, not even one new um, point of view on the verses I'm going to share. But I went through scripture and I've come up with a number of just only Jesus statements that I think will help to affirm you in your faith, to help you to affirm you in your conviction, and hopefully help you get more energized, energized by the fact that only Jesus saves, and he does. And so with that, let me pray and let's get started. Father God, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful day, this, this glorious resurrection day that we celebrate and Christians have celebrated for so many years. Father, we are we're just so thankful. We're so thankful for what you did through Christ, our risen Lord, that we're, we're overwhelmed by it. We, it. It brings to us joy unspeakable. And so with that, again, we just say thank you, uh, Father God, for saving us from our miserable selves. For Christ's sake, amen. All right, the only Old Testament verse I'm going to refer to and refer you to today is found in Genesis 1, right on the first page, because our focus today is Jesus. And I'm not going to give you, I don't believe I've got any prophetic verses from the Old Testament. We're just going to dive right in. And it's important that we always understand those verses in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 for a lot of reasons. And I could teach culturally on this. And I'll try not to bunny trail down that because we don't have time this morning. But in Genesis 1, 26 through 27, and in the first little phrase of 28, the Bible teaches us this. And God said, let us make man in our own image. Let us, plural, make man in our, plural, own image, according to our likeness, plural. And let them, meaning mankind, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the cattle over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So in other words, God created us, mankind, humans, to have dominion over all the world. Everything was subject to us. And this is in the perfect world God created. It goes on to say, so God created man, meaning mankind, <clears throat> in his own image. In his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. That's the first part of verse 28 leading into God blessed them and told us to multiply, reproduce, and all the wonderful things he assigned for us to do after creation. So God, who is that plural triune God, we know that from the very first words of the Bible, in the beginning God and created, and, and those five Hebrew words are uh, Bereshit bara, bara Elohim, Bereshit bara Elohim, 
Elohim meaning the plural form of God. And you see Elohim used throughout the Old Testament in the Hebrew. So I cannot move on without commenting because of the insanity and, and quite frankly, the, 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 the evidence of the demonic presence throughout our world and especially our nation as it relates to this craziness over gender. But God made it very clear. He created us, male and female, he created them. Now, what's difficult about that? There's nothing difficult about that. Male and female, he created them. We we're born with our chromosomes oriented in a certain way. One way's male, one way's female. And that's what it was intended from the very beginning of mankind on day six of creation. So I'm not going to go down there. We'll talk about that more some other time. But th this is all you need to fall back on if you want to refute the nonsense that's going on, especially as it pushes toward our public schools. But now we're seeing it in our workplace. It's a very, very sad, tragic thing. But it's also very scary to anyone. But today we're here to celebrate and we're celebrating our risen Savior. So the reason I, I started with that part is to let you know that we are created beings and created in the image of God. And what makes difference makes us different than every other created uh, being, creature, whatever you want to call them, animals, the only thing that makes us different is that we're created in the image of God. And if you read on over a few verses, you'll see that when, when God created Adam, because this is just a general creation. Then he goes specifically to talk about how he created Adam. He created man out of the dust, woman out of the man, the rib of man. But it said that God breathed into us. We are God breathed. That's what makes us spirit beings. That's why we have these spirits. We are spirit beings. It gives us life that differentiates us from every other created thing. God created us in his image and he breathed into us life. Okay, there's no other place that God breathed into anything except God breathed into mankind, humans, and gave us life. And that's a differentiator. Right? Now, we know this very mysterious concept called the Trinity. It's revealed here in these verses. That's one reason I gave it to you in Genesis 1, 26, 27. Uh, let, let us create man in our image, in our likeness. Who's he talking to? Who's he talking about? There's nothing that exists. God has just created the world as we know it, not everything else that he's known from before that and that still exists that we don't know and cannot see. This is the revelation God gave us. This is all we know. So, but God created heavens and earth. But he used that plural form. And so that's our first tip to there's something else going on here. There's, there's more than just, not more than just multiple gods is the most... Most societies believe, and we know from our Bibles, the Romans did and the Greeks did. Those were the ones that were prevalent during these times. Even before that, in the Old Testament, the different ones that they worshipped, the Baals and other things. God told us in somewhat of a veiled way. I don't think it's that veiled. Some people don't believe it at all. But God's begin, God begins to reveal himself right here on the first page of the Bible that there's this holy trinity because it says that that God the Father was involved, right? And it says that the Spirit hovered over the waters. And so there we've got two persons of the Trinity. If we look at John 1, if you, if you turned over in your New Testament to John 1, the, the wonderful prophet that he described himself as the one that Jesus loved, John gives us a picture of the same creation page, but involving Jesus in John 1. And I just wanted to read a couple of verses out of that. 
And it begins, the Gospel of John begins this way. And by the way, I've told you many times before that John wrote last. John wrote his apostle, his um, gospel, and then the epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and then the Revelation much later in the first century, like maybe even in the 90s. He was an old, old man by that time. And all the rest of them had died, had been martyred. All of his disciple friends had been martyred and killed, and even Paul was gone by that time. He'd been martyred, and John alone was left, and he'd been you know, exiled to the Isle of Patmos, and then he was released from there. And it's just a wonderful story about this amazing apostle who outlived them all by, by many years, quite frankly. And he starts his gospel this way, and it's a little different than the other ones. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are considered the synoptic gospels. There's a lot of parallelism within them. Some believe that um, Mark, well, some will argue that Matthew took his from Mark. I don't believe that for a minute because Matthew was an eyewitness. John was an eyewitness. Mark and Luke were not. Mark may have been part of all that as a kid, and that's a different story. I don't want to run down that trail right now. But here's how John begins this beautiful gospel. In the beginning was the Word with a capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. And all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. If you read on further down, the revelation there that the word is Jesus Christ. So let me read it that way. In the beginning was Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was with God, and Jesus Christ was God. And Jesus was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through Jesus. And apart from Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. Nothing has come into being. In other words, Jesus is the creator of part of that holy trinity where he is the one that spoke creation into existence god the father god the son god the holy spirit all participating in creation all mentioned in that uh, paul wrote to the colossians in colossians 1 15 to 17 and by the way my notes will be posted probably tomorrow and you can read this for yourself in colossians 1 paul wrote this jesus is the in image of the invisible god the firstborn of all creation. In other words, for God to help people, mankind that he created from Adam and Eve on, understand him, to, to reveal him and his nature and help us understand who he is, especially after he stopped revealing himself directly once they demanded a king and the whole history of Israel, once they were ultimately destroyed. When it started all over again, we move into the New Testament we have the Romans in charge, and God decides it's time to reveal himself even more personally than he did talking to Moses, you know, talking to Abraham, talking to the, the saints of old that he did when he was personally involved with them before the Israelites lost their minds and demanded kings because other nations had them. Well, it, it lost something there, and God became more and more disappointed with his people. So when we get into Matthew, the first thing we get into is what? The birth of Christ. The God revealing himself through a man, through a person to us so we could understand better the nature and the character of God. And so Paul wrote to help the Corinthians, excuse me, the Colossians understand this better. He said this, Jesus is the invisible image of God. He's the firstborn of all creation. 
for by Jesus, all things were created. Now, he's, he's repeating what John said years later. Both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things, meaning he existed with God because he is God before all things. And in him, in Jesus, all things hold together. All things hold together. So this explains to some extent the creation, the Trinity, the, the pre-existence before there was time, because God doesn't need time and God doesn't march to time, but he created time and all this and things that are, as the Bible describes, too wonderful for me, too wonderful for me. I can't understand them all. I'm reasonably bright. I'm well-educated, but these things are still too wonderful for me to comprehend. Uh, they're just too uh, wonderful to comprehend. So Jesus, only Jesus is that creator God and part of that Trinity, only Jesus. And as I got ahead of myself a little bit, the second one is this. Only Jesus is the incarnation of God. Only Jesus is the incarnation of God. The second person of the Trinity There's God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. God, the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity. Wasn't Jesus sitting around in heaven, but he became man. He became, you know, it says that he became man. And the verse I was going to share with you before out of John 1.14 Read that to you. I shared with you the, the creation verses. Okay. okay, again, John's still using the word with a capital W, and that means Jesus. And as after John had said, you know, all the wonderful things that he said about in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. You read on down through that. He said in verse 14 of John 1, and the word, meaning Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, the glory of God, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Jesus is that manifestation of God. God wanted to reveal himself in the days when it was going to be mankind pushing toward the end that he'd been talking about. And we see so much through the New Testament. Jesus becomes the incarnation of God himself so that we would have some idea because it's much easier for me and for you to to read the Bible in the New Testament and see the things that Jesus did and see how he interacted with people and and get a, a better picture of God get a better feeling for the the empathy that he has and the sympathy and the power that he demonstrates and all the things that he can do and the perfection and the holiness and all the things that surrounded the Lord Jesus in his life as a living man, that was the revelation of God for us. That's why he came. In Colossians, again, 1, 18 and 19, Paul wrote this, that Jesus is the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the first to be resurrected, so that he himself will come to have the first place in everything. This is talking about Jesus, God, man, for it was the father's good pleasure for all the fullness of God to dwell in Jesus, the man, all the fullness of God. And so that's why you saw miracles. You saw these amazing things. You saw inanimate objects do things. You saw, um, you know, the demons respond and cry out and things communicating with him that made no sense to man. But it was because and, and nature obeyed him. Why? Because they knew their creator. 
They knew their creator. But that happened before he was Jesus, the son, the incarnation of God. So how in the world did the wind and the waves know to stop? How did they know the voice? They know the voice that spoke them in the creation because before he spoke that, there was no wind. There were no waves. Didn't I just give you tingles? Man, my, my skin is tingling right now. Hmm. And then only Jesus is able, is able to be the sacrifice to save us from our sins. Only Jesus. You know, for whatever reason, I, I don't understand all this. I know a lot about the Bible. There's a lot more I don't understand. But, you know, there's a sacrificial system, a blood sacrifice system set up for the forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament. We believe it began in the garden with Adam and Eve because they had sinned. Uh, Adam and Eve had both sinned and broken that fellowship with God. And now sin had come in the world. But we know that they were naked and, and unashamed and then. God said, well, who told you naked? And, uh, but we know that before they left, and by the way, death came in the world through that sin, physical death and then spiritual death. But we know this, that they, they were all created naked and everything was great. They didn't know they were naked. They did after the sin. But when they left that garden, even though God banished them and, and gave them those curses, and along with cursing Satan there in Genesis 3, we know this, that they were clothed in animal skins. Well, how do you get the skin off an animal? You kill it. And so God did his own blood sacrifice, the first blood sacrifice there to cover their sin, to cover their sin, and that's the key. Throughout the sacrificial system, the blood sacrifice system, throughout the Old Testament and into the New, this blood sacrifice covers sin. But I want you to know what we're going to celebrate today is that the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ doesn't cover sin, it cleanses sin and removes it. And that is a big time hallelujah. It doesn't cover up the sin. The sin was covered up for generations and thousands of years. But the blood of Christ removes that sin. And how could it do it? How can he have a sacrifice? Well, it had to be a perfect lamb or a perfect ram or whatever it was they were sacrificing. I'm going through chronologically now. Gigi and I both are. And I finished all that. I'm now into uh, Samuel is go get me a perfect unblemished lamb. And that's the way God instructed. It had to be that way in the law. Going back to Exodus, the first time, I believe it's in Exodus 20. He says, bring to me a perfect lamb, perfect lamb, unblemished. And throughout the Levitical law, going through Leviticus and Deuteronomy, all the sacrifices throughout had to be that perfect lamb. We just went through and celebrating the Passover that's what the Jews did, and they'd go get a lamb to sacrifice, and they chose that lamb, and then it was sacrificed on Good Friday, or the Friday of Passover. Jesus, the, the Pas Jesus, our, our Passover lamb, if you will, as Christians, was sacrificed that same day. Had to be that way. Had to be on a Passover, and there's a lot of history and stuff in that, and, uh, we're, but we're now we're here on Resurrection Sunday, but Jesus had to be that perfect one, and so Again, I'm going to share some verses with you about that. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul said, He made him sin who knew no sin so that he could be our Savior. He made him who knew no sin. Jesus was perfect. He made him to be sin. And that was that point at which everything got dark. Remember, God turned his back on Jesus on the cross, turned his back on him. When Jesus cried out, Father, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
God turns his back on sin because at that moment, Jesus became sin, became sin for us. And it says Jesus died once for all. So I'm reading here that um, in Colossians 1, 18 and 19, and through him, Jesus, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his what cross through Jesus, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, he made peace through his blood on the cross. It's the only thing that could satisfy God once and for all for our sin. There would be no more need for sacrificing animals and blood that covered everything. Jesus cleansed everything and washed away our sin. And when you hear those stories or those old songs about washing away of our sin, cleansing our sin, that's the difference. They're no longer covered by the blood. They are washed and cleansed by the blood. And that's exciting. Hallelujah to that. So only Jesus died for our sin. Only Jesus died. Only Jesus was able to as a perfect sacrifice, but only Jesus died. There's no one else that said, oh, hey, wait a minute, time out, kill me. Take my life. And the most famous verse in all the Bible, best known, is John 3.16. You know that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But what I want to do is read a couple of verses beyond that. It's because Jesus is explaining this to Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a very smart Jewish religious leader. He's a Pharisee, but he's one of the few and the only one we know of that, that stood up for Jesus, snuck off to meet him because he, he had this thought in his mind, I'm sure maybe this is the Messiah, maybe this is the one. And he tried to keep the other Pharisees from killing him. So as Jesus is explaining this thing about being born again, he'd say, well, Jesus said, well, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus says, well, how in the world can a man be born again? How can he, can he go back up in his mother's womb and come back out again? Is that what you mean? And Jesus said, no, no. He talked about being born of water, meaning the, the birth process where the water breaks, water and spirit when we're born again in Jesus. So in John 3, 16, following, he said, for God did not send his son into the world to judge the world or condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved, might be saved. He who believes in Jesus and him is not judged. He who does not believe has already been judged because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And this is the judgment that light, capital L, meaning Jesus, has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. And now we get to the only Jesus part that brings us to today. Only Jesus conquered death. Only Jesus conquered death. And we read that throughout the Gospels. All four Gospels have the account of the resurrection. And so we know it to be true. As Christians, we hang everything on this resurrection. Because, you see, if Jesus was crucified and buried, which is what the Jews wanted to have happen, that's why they got so concerned on that Saturday. They remembered what he said about rising from the grave and coming up out of the grave. And they said, they went to the Roman um, leaders and they said, wait a minute, time out here. We need to make sure that grave is guarded, is sealed. And they did all that. And then we know the stone was rolled away by the angels and Jesus, you know, rose up out of that. The resurrection occurred. And that's what we celebrate today. But they tried to prevent it the best they could because they, they said, look, if that happens and the body's gone, whether it's stolen or whatever happens, it'll be worse then than it was trying to deal with him while he was alive because it's hard to fight a ghost. That's their thinking in their words. 
And we know it's the resurrected Son of God. The best verses on this that we need to understand as Christians and then help other people understand who may be seeking and looking for Christ, they're found in 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read this short passage to you because it's so important. So listen to them because it is the it really defines why we're here today and what went on and, and the consequences if there is no resurrection. So Paul is teaching 1 Corinthians 15, 12, and forward, and it said this. Now, if Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do some among, some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? One point there, you know, there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the two Jewish religious leadership kind of groups. The Sadducees, Sad, yeah, the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection. They did not believe in a resurrection. Pharisees did. Sadducees did not. So that's kind of what he's addressing here. All right. Paul says, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. It is. My preaching every week, every time I come up here and speak, teach the name of Jesus, teach you about the glory of this resurrection. Our salvation hangs on that. He said, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. You're believing stuff about a dead man. If, if Jesus isn't resurrected, we're worshiping a dead man. Worshiping a dead man. That's just the fact. If there is no resurrection, then we're worshiping a dead man. Seems silly to me. It goes on to say, moreover, we were even found to be false witnesses of God. You see, in other words, if, if Jesus wasn't the Messiah, even the Jews are waiting on Messiah, right? Those who aren't already saved, the Messianic Jews, they're waiting on Messiah. So Paul's saying, and he was as well, he was an extremely well-educated Jew. Well, look, if then Jesus wasn't the one. If there's no, if no resurrection, then we're blasphemers because we've been worshiping this guy, and the Jews were right and we're wrong. We are blasphemers, and we ought to be the ones killed because if there's no resurrection, then Jesus wasn't the one because we've testified that God raised him from the dead. And if, in fact, he did not raise him, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our faith is foolishness, worthless, and we're still, the worst part of all that, we're still dead in our sins. We're still dead in our sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. It's a beautiful expression, and I don't teach about death when I'm teaching or speaking at a memorial service or funeral for Christians. The beauty of it is Christians don't die. Paul said here, they've fallen asleep. We don't die. We, we go to sleep in the Lord. We wake up in the arms of Jesus. Our spirits do. Our bodies stay in the ground until that time when, when, when we're resurrected, depending on whether Christ comes for the rapture. If you believe the rapture is real, I happen to. Uh, or the second coming of Christ, when the spirits are called up, it's a different message to teach on. But the bottom line here is, and look, you know, we're dead in our sins, and those who have died believing that Christ was Messiah, those who went on, who were killed for him, they, they're gone. They've just perished. They're just dead dust, just like anyone and everyone, if Christ is not who he claimed to be, and if there is no resurrection. And he goes on to say that if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Pitied. If there is no resurrection, we are most of all to be pitied. The resurrection is why we're here. Only Jesus died. Only Jesus was able to be that perfect sacrifice. Only Jesus was resurrected. You see, 
That's what separates Christianity from every other world religion throughout history. There's no other religion that claims a resurrected Messiah. There's no other religion that claims that their Messiah is God himself come to earth incarnate. That mysterious thing that we just cannot understand, not fully and completely, but we understand enough to know that he came to me and the Holy Spirit convicted me of my miserable sin. That, that godly sorrow that produces repentance in 2 Corinthians 7.10, when I knew that even though I thought I was saved, grew up a good Baptist kid, walked the aisle, got dunked, did all those things, but I was not saved. I was not born again. Thought I was saved, didn't act like it, didn't look like it, lived like hell, and still thinking, well, I'm saved, and I, and I know all this stuff. I know these verses. Many of you have the same testimony. You grew up in church, and but nobody could tell the difference. There was no fruit. And there was no difference in your life. And yet you'd say, well, I'm a Christian. And there are those who say, well, I'm a Christian because I'm not a Jew or a Muslim or this. I must be a Christian. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. I've taught you on that many times before. The important thing today is to know that you are saved, to know that Christ did die because he could. He was able. That perfect lamb, perfect lamb that laid down his life laid down his life, suffered that horrible, awful, miserable crucifixion, the worst death. Even one of the Roman uh, philosophers I read about years ago, and I put this in my newest book, that even he said the crucifixion was the most heinous form of capital punishment ever thought by the mind of man. But he did that and became sin for you and I so that we could be saved, that we could be saved. And the final only Jesus is this, and I don't need any notes for this because I tell you this every single week when I teach, every time I teach, close with this. In John 14, 6, Jesus said something that I believe is the pivot point of the scripture, the pivot point of eternity. It's that point in which it all teeters. John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. No one. I am the way, the only way, the door, the gate. I'm it. Now, you want to light up people, and it does. That that makes us haters. That makes us racist, biggest. We're all serial racists, all the crazy stuff out there with critical race theory and all the nonsense going on in our culture today. By the way, it's all of Satan. We know that. It's all of Satan. It's demonic in nature. That's what the scripture teaches us anyway. And the fact that we would claim that Jesus Christ is the only way just sets people off. And it should. It should because the truth is troubling to people. And we're taught that the cross causes people to stumble. The cross gets in the way of those who are perishing. Well, if you're a Christian, I hope that you're encouraged by just these reminders because not one thing I've said is new. Not one verse I've read or quoted is new. You should know those things. You ought to be able to recite them, speak them, but more than anything else, you ought to be able to live them and live with the joy, the joy of your salvation, the joy of your salvation. In Psalm 51, David's praying that great repentance psalm, and one part of that prayer is, Lord God, restore to me the joy of your salvation, because he didn't have any. And I've gone through seasons in my own life recently where I have had no joy. The burden of the world, the burden of all this stuff, the burden of teaching, the burden of the ministry, the burden of lots of things 
have robbed my joy because Satan wants to steal the effectiveness in, in many ways, in any ways, through people, through money, through whatever. He can. He can. No, no, no. I want, like David, I want God, you restore the joy of my salvation because I know and I stand on the word of God that the resurrection is true. It really happened. Because like Paul said, if it didn't, we are most of all to be pitied. We are fools. We are fools, big time fools. But we know that's not true. We know it did happen. We know that as sure as we're standing here and we know that Christ is coming again, whether he comes before he calls us home or not, the minute I stop breathing, I'm asleep in the Lord. I am home with the Lord. And all those who have gone before in spirit, our bodies will catch up later on. It'll be this glorious time and new heaven, new earth. It's going to be wonderful. And there's no place better to be than be found. And that's why my new book is titled, When the Lost Get Found. We've been found. We've been found in Christ. Now, one last word for those who may have come across this and you have no idea how. And you wonder why you listen to some old white guy with gray hair up here preaching and talking about all this stuff you've rejected all of your life. Well, I'll tell you why. Because the Holy Spirit of the living God, who is God, has reached into your heart one more time. And, and through me is pleading that you would receive this as a truth, because it is. It's the only truth. And that you would receive Christ as your Savior. Do not turn this off. Do not shut this video down or turn off the podcast version or whatever it is you're doing. However you're receiving this, don't do that because I might be the very last one that God sends to you to say, listen, this all happened. What Walter just taught, it happened for you. It happened for you to save you out of your miserable sin because you are lost and hopeless and you know it. You know in your heart of hearts, despite the bravado and things you may put on, you know in your heart of hearts, there's a, there's a hole there. There's a void there. And you filled it with everything from sex, drugs, and rock and roll, to anything you can think of to fill it all up as I did, as many of us did. And there's only one person who can fill that and heal that empty heart, and that's Jesus Christ. And that's why he sent me here today, was to share this word with you and plead with you. Plead with you. Do not. Turn away again, because I don't know if anybody else would be behind me to invite you to the most amazing thing so that next Resurrection Holy Week, you will be celebrating with us that Christ died for you and rose for you and loves you and seals you and gives you the power of the Holy Spirit to live in spite of all the insanity that's going on, I'm not worried a bit. I know where it's going because of what the Bible teaches. And I'm just trying to bring you along with me for Christ's sake. Amen. Father God, let, 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 no, one, let no one leave this who has any uncertainty at all in their heart that they are not truly born again through the risen Christ. The only way we can be to the risen Christ, please, please. And one last thanks as we go through this Resurrection Sunday to bless your holy name and thank you for saving us out of our miserable sin and giving us eternal hope for Christ's sake. Amen. 
God bless you. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.